right here, we see that the Lord has been confronting the religious leaders. He gives them three parables that judge them. And then they come and now they begin to question him. And we begin here in verse 23 of Matthew 22. It says, And then the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Let's pray again. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us this opportunity, Father God, to open your word and to ask that you speak to our hearts, Lord God. I just pray, Father, um, that you would just have your way, that you would remove any distractions, even defeat any form of opposition by your cross, your blood, your power, your spirit, Lord. And that you would use this Bible study, Lord, to change our lives. We love you, and we lift this study to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Yesterday, um, I wasn't able to be at the outreach concert because I was uh, actually privileged to be able to hang out with my son Aaron. Uh, Aaron was sick. I think it was the flu. And he's kind of like his dad. Uh, When we get sick, we get a little dramatic. You know, it's kind of like we're dying type of thing, you know. And so anyways, you know, he uh, had his flu. And so it was cool, man. We got to hang out with each other and uh, really talked a lot about the Lord uh, talked a little bit about the Olympics. As a matter of fact, he wanted to watch some of the Olympics. And so we turned it on for a little bit. And I don't know if any of you caught the, the marathon uh, yesterday, the Olympic uh, run there. But man, I, I was just uh, really heartbroken. My heart went out to one of the Ethiopian men who were running the marathon. You know, I believe it was a Kenyan who won the, the gold. And uh, I'm not sure who won the, the, the silver, but when it comes to the bronze, they're there. And there's a guy probably about here to the, uh, the back wall right there. He had a lead going into uh, the, the, what's it called, the, um, the bird's nest? Uh, that, yeah, that's right. And um, I, I just thought, oh, wow, that's cool. He's got a big lead. I'm sure he's going to be able to make it, but it was just a trip. I guess if you're running a marathon... I mean, think about this, 26.2 miles. I mean, you're running, you're jogging for two hours. Um, You know, you can definitely reach a point where there's nothing left. And that's what happened to this one man, an Ethiopian man. He's running and he has a big lead. But when it came to crunch time, when it came to who's going to stand on the platform, when it came to that point, that period of victory, he had nothing left and the other teammate he just flew on by and i just felt so 
sorry for him. I don't know, did any of you guys see that? None of you guys, man, it was, you got to check it out. It, 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 was, it was just heartbreaking to me. And, you know, I, I think of the scriptures that the Bible teaches us how we need to have the endurance that's necessary to finish the race, the endurance that's necessary really to, to, to win that, you know, race that God has called us to run. And a lot of times I think we are not ready, we are not training, we are not focused, we are not really understanding the power of God. And you may not know it now, but on that day, on crunch time, is when it's going to matter the most. Now for the Sadducees, it was a very extreme example because they didn't have the power of God to understand the Bible and they didn't have the power of God to take them home. And for us, as we study this today, it's very important, whether you're a Christian or not today, to listen to this study, and I believe God will speak to us, regarding the scriptures, regarding the power that we need from the Lord. Think about it. That power that we need from Him, not only to make it home, but to win the race for His glory. But again, we see here in verse 23 that the same day, this is the Tuesday in that last week of Christ, that the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, they came to him. Now, in the previous confrontation, we see the Pharisees were the ones who came against Christ. We saw that in verses 15 through 22. Now, the Sadducees come to Christ. We see now that these two sects that normally were opposed to each other, now united together in order to topple Jesus Christ. This would be almost like the Democrats and the Republicans joining together. Think about that. I know it sounds crazy, but that's pretty much what the comparison is. These two sects joining together to do what? To topple Jesus Christ. And we see that in life. We see how Satan brings together all the ungodly. Even in the present day, we see the forces of Satan you know, opposing each other in other respects and yet rising together and raising every hand they have against Jesus Christ. I mean, when we see today, you look out in the spectrum of the world, you have Christianity and you have all other forces uniting together to try to defeat Christ, whether it be through litigation or education, whether it be over there in Hollywood or Las Vegas or Rome or London or Beijing, it doesn't matter, the forces of this world are united together against Christ, even as we see here, we see it now. But the thing that we take heart in and we're so blessed to know is that it doesn't matter if all the world, if all the forces of hell unite against Christ. It's actually futile. It's actually funny, according to the Bible. In the book of Psalms, chapter 2, it says this in verse 2, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And the Bible says, he who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. It doesn't matter if all the forces of hell, which we do know even in the book of Revelation chapter 20, they will come together and the whole earth would come together against Christ. It is futile. 
because the Lord is the king. As a matter of fact, for us today, we really need to make sure that we crown him king, that we submit to his authority, that we yield to the Lord, that we're really truly living our life for him and not for ourselves. The Bible says later in the same psalm, chapter 2, verse 10, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled just a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. The Father sent Him. The Spirit points to Him. Unfortunately, the Sadducees came against Him. The world will come against Him, and we'll see that. But let us not get caught up in that tide of popular opinion. For in the end, the king will, like we saw in the skit, bring judgment upon those people. It's real simple. (laughs) Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or do you want to perish? Your choice. I pray we would submit to him all of our life. We see here the unity. We see, secondly, the identity. Now, when you look at the Sadducees, they're kind of an interesting bunch. These guys right here, the Sadducees, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses. They did not believe in the spirit world. They did not believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. We read that over in Acts chapter 23, verse 8, when Paul was testifying, the Bible says, For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. And so that was the group that came to Christ. They didn't believe in the spiritual. They didn't believe in the unseen. They were materialists. They were kind of like many today. They're moral materialists. They want to change the earth. They want to you know, do things here and now, but they have no heart for the future, no heart for eternity. We see that today in our society. They were the wealthy of the day. They were the aristocratic. They were the governing class. They were the priestly families there in Israel. They were the pragmatists. They were earthbound in their theology. They said this. Basically, this was their mentality. Souls die with their bodies. I remember when I used to work at Vaughn's, I had a friend there, and he was an atheist, and he didn't believe in the existence of God And he told me, I believe that when you die, you stay six feet under. And there are a lot of people like that. There are atheists. They have that position. They believe that when we die, that's it. We turn to dust. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no heaven. There's no hell. And, uh, you know, I told him, well, you know, you can't prove that. There's no way to prove the cessation of our existence. You know, but the Lord here deals with that. And the Sadducees came to him. And they had that teaching you know and i believe today you know you look out in the world and it's kind of interesting how huh, you guys you know if you take the polls in america today i believe that i think it's somewhere close to 90 plus percent of americans say they believe in god say they believe in an afterlife a heaven or hell but how many of them really live in light of that truth not that many huh there are not that many positional atheists but there are many practical atheists where they say they believe in god but they don't live it they don't really allow their life to flow with that ebb that after i die there is a heaven and there is a hell and there are rewards and there are consequences and there are people that i need to pull from the flames today we see there are many modern day sadducees and this is what jesus dealt with on that day 
And so they came to him and they asked him a, a really crazy situation. They said, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies and he has no children, then his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, this was found over in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. And verse 5, it says this. This was Moses' words. God gave him these words. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son... The widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son whom she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. In those days, very important that you had a son. That you had a son that would carry on your name. Like I tell my son Aaron, you know, you're the Coronia clan, you're, you're carrying our, our name, son, carry it well, you know. And, and in those days especially, you know, a, a population explosion occurred in the nation of Israel. And, uh, you know, if for some reason these two got married, uh, the husband died prior to having a male child, then the brother would take care of that. That was the way that it worked in those days. It was called the Leverite marriage. And the reason was to preserve a man's name so that he would not die without a male heir to continue his name. You know, in those days, family inheritance was a major thing. It was important. And it was a disgrace if a brother did not follow through with this responsibility. As a matter of fact, we read that over in the book of Ruth. That was pretty much the essence of it, the kinsman redeemer. Uh, such children were then brought up and legally regarded as the dead brother's child. If for some reason they refused to marry the widow, they would then go to the elders. It's kind of an interesting thing. If you as a brother did not do this, this is how important it was in those days, they would take you to the judges of those days, the elders. They would take off your shoe. She would spit in your face. And from that day forward, you would walk around in disgrace. It was a stigma of refusal. And so that was what was going on. That was a situation that the Sadducees came to Jesus with that law. And they said, and here's the thing, you know, there's this guy, he had, uh, 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 you know, uh, a situation in which he died. His brother took her as wife. He died. His brother, other brother took her as wife. He died. Seven brothers died. <laughs> and so, Lord, what's that curiosity? When they're in heaven... Whose wife is she? Now, what they're really trying to do, they're not coming with an honest question. They're, they're not sincere in their seeking of the Lord. They're trying to trap the Lord. They're trying to, you know, bring their own agenda to Him. They're really trying to disprove the whole concept. They're trying to say how ludicrous it is to think that there is life after death. I mean, here's the situation. Tell me, what's going to happen there in heaven? The Sadducees, they come with this question and they hope it will show how ridiculous the resurrection is. You know, and for seven brothers to die, I, I doubt that really happened, to be honest with you. <laughs> Not unless she was an axe murderer or something like that, you know. But, you know, I know in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis chapter 38, it talks about a situation with Judah. Judah had three sons at this point and, you know, he had a, a daughter-in-law, I believe her name was Tamar. Her first husband died, then he gave her the brother. Second husband died, and then Judah said, that's enough. 
You can't have my third son because there's something about you that's not right. I, think, I don't think she knew how to cook or something going on there, you know. And so, you know, for seven brothers to die, uh, it's probably not a true story. But, you know, here the Lord wants to deal with this. And Judah says, hey, two's enough. But even if it was real, the Lord just answers them with the answer that I think here's the focus of our study today. Because look again what he says in verse 29. He answered and said to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You see, that right there is the key. And that's where I want to encourage you guys in today. You know, whether it be the doctrine of the resurrection, the doctrine like Richard was talking about today, of the power of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the inerrancy of the Bible, whatever it is, I pray that we would not be mistaken. Now, the Greek word is deceived. That we would not be led astray, deceived. The old King James says, error. It's not just a mistake. I, I don't think this is a good translation. Sometimes people say, I made a mistake. And that's not a good word sometimes. Sometimes it's better to say, I sinned. In this case, it's much better to say, I, they were deceived. That's the Greek word here. And what I want to encourage you guys in today and what I I really want to just give you this principle and I need to take it to heart as well, we, we must not be deceived. We must not be deceived. There are so many lies out there. There are so many crazy things, even in the name of Christianity that are going on out there. There's so many, you know, propaganda and you've got agendas, political and you go to colleges today, universities today, and you go to your friends and you talk to your friends at work and they're trying to tell you a little subtle lie and we just cannot be deceived. We can't be like the Sadducees. And the Lord says, that's your problem. You guys are deceived. You are mistaken. The Greek word planao, it means to lead astray. It means to deceive. It means to lead into error. They were deceived. And we need to make sure, God help us not to be deceived as well. As a matter of fact, the Lord warns us, I warn you today to be careful of the doctrine, of the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees. If you go back to Matthew 16, the Lord tried to warn them. And I believe he tries to warn us as well. In Matthew 16, it says in verse 6, Jesus said to them, Take heed, be aware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, leaven is like a little bit of yeast that infects the whole loaf. A little bit of leaven will leaven the whole loaf. You've got to be so careful that you are not even deceived in the slightest. Because if you are, it will affect your whole entire life. Obviously, this right here is a biggie. And God really wants to communicate to us, I believe, this morning that we need to make sure that we take heed, that we beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this, but in one sense, the Pharisees were legalists and the Sadducees were liberals. And we need to be careful with both extremes. Now, the Pharisees were right on when it comes to their orthodox theology, But they took the Bible and they made another 110,000 rules and regulations from it. They were legalists. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they were liberals. Think about it. You know, being religious and not even believing in life after death. Not believing in, you know, all these books of the Bible. And the Lord just says to us today, I believe, the same thing. Be careful, you guys. 
be so careful of the leaven. Because when you get, you know, over here on this side or over here on this side, then you're going to miss the heart and the truth and it will permeate your whole life. The Lord says right here in verse 6, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And notice it says in verse 7, and they reason among themselves saying, it's because we have taken no bread. And the Lord knocks them upside the head. Come on, you guys. <laughs> oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? See, the Lord always is trying to tell us, get your eyes off, you know, earthly things. Think spiritual now. Okay, think about those things. He says in verse 11, But to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine, that's the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I believe the Lord would tell us the same thing today. This command is good for today. I was thinking about how Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he said, I fear. I mean, he loved the people so much. He cared for them so much. He said, I fear, lest somehow the serpent deceive you as he did Eve. From the simplicity that is in Christ. And that's the heart of a pastor. That's the heart of a leader. That's the heart of God. I mean, God's not going to believe for you. God's not going to make you study the Bible. You know, you've probably heard it a million times. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. But God has never forced you to do it. That's something that we have to take up on our own and understand the responsibility that we have to saturate ourselves in the Scriptures. Richard talked a little bit about it today. I'm learning that in my backyard right now. My grass, it was trying to die. It really was. And so we would put the sprinkler on and it just smiled and said, that's ah, nothing, you know. And so what have I been doing lately? I'm just putting the hose down and I'm letting the, the water just saturate the grass. That's the only thing. The sprinklers aren't working anymore. I've just got to put the hose down and let it sink in. Let it, everything be flooded. And I think that's where we're at right now. We're living in a day like that. You know, we're living in a day, there's so many lies. I mean, you have lies everywhere, all around you, surrounded by lies everywhere, that really our only hope is to saturate ourselves in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, that's really what the Lord told them here. He said back in Matthew 22, He said, you are mistaken, you're deceived. Why? Not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. That's the key. We've got to know this word right here. I believe when you're a new believer, I don't know if I can necessarily, I'd have to take some time really to think this through, but I believe when you're a new believer that God just carries you through as a new believer. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, I was floating, I think, for like a year, man. It was just so awesome. I mean, he carried me. Why? Because it was kind of like a transitional period. You know, he really allowed me, strengthened me, covered me. He allowed me to feel him. I had tingles all the time. It was such a blessing, I remember. But, you know, there's this period in which God is just carrying us through. And I'm not going to overgeneralize here. But, you know, during that time, I believe, we have a responsibility to get into the Word. We have a responsibility to read the Bible, to study the Bible. 
to feed ourselves on his faithfulness and to grow in his word. And if we don't, we'll be led astray. We'll be led astray by that church over there that doesn't really teach the Bible, but they give nice messages. They have fun. It's entertainment, but it's not God's word. We'll be led astray by that one over there. They don't believe in the Trinity down the street, Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons. They believe that life after death, you will stay married. As a matter of fact, if you're a good Mormon, they say you're going to have many wives in your own planet, have many children populate that planet. If we're not really into the word, if we don't really know the scriptures, if we don't read our Bibles on our own and pray and study his word, then somewhere along the lines, we're, we're going to be deceived. I don't know if it's going to be in areas of submission. I don't know if it's going to be in your marriage. I don't know if it'll be in your parenting. I don't know if what it'll be. You know, I've seen guys start drinking. Oh, it's okay to start drinking. And, you know, I, I just really want to encourage you guys today not to allow that to happen. We need to make sure that we know the Scriptures. You know, if we buy the lie that there is no resurrection, there's no life after death, that will permeate our entire existence. I mean, think about it. If this is it, Paul said, if this is it, man, if there's no life after death, then let's just eat and drink and die. That's what Paul said, and it's true. It just changes everything. But there is a life after death, either in heaven or hell. And if we don't have that in our heart, then it destroys the most important decision we all need to make, and that is to repent and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So important. Jesus said, number one, you're deceived. He said, number two, you're dumb. That's what he said. I'm sorry to say, but that's what he said. You're dumb. You're deceived. You're mistaken, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. Again, the reason they erred is because they didn't know the Bible. And the word know right here, it means to know intellectually. It really does. You know, some people are down on knowledge. Oh, you know, I don't have to study the Bible. I've got, you know, Jesus in my heart. I've got experience behind me or whatever. No, use your brain. Intellectually study objectively this Bible. You know, one of the things I kind of don't understand, and I don't know really what's going on, but I just want to challenge you guys in this area. You know, when I first got saved, you know, this is just my personal testimony. I like to read. I, I, I mean, before I was a Christian, I only read the sports page. Okay, after I became a Christian, I used to read the Bible, not only read the Bible, but I started reading books. These are biblically based books. Oh, I don't read books, I just read my Bible. Are you sure? I believe sometimes you're reading these books about what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, a godly parent. What it means to be serving in the ministry. What is it rooted and grounded? But for some reason, people are not reading. They're not checking out books. We even changed the whole lending library for you. We put it right in front of you so that when you walk in, you see all those books, man. But people aren't checking out books. I wonder, are you reading? Are you learning? Are you growing? Some people do, but I think most of us, more of us should. Now again, I don't... Think those books should replace this Bible by any means. But I think that we really need to check our hearts and ask God, God, do I need to study more? Do I need to get into your word more? Because, you know, I see, God says, unless you don't know the scriptures, unless you know it, you are susceptible to being deceived. And I know that in my life as a Christian, when I first got saved, 
I was just devouring books. I was just reading books and I continue to read books that are biblically based because I want to learn God's word. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we really studying the word? You know, the only way we can know for sure that we're not deceived, even by me, is for you to know the Bible. You know, this goes way back to the beginning. Remember Eve questioned God's word? She countered God's word eventually through the temptation of Satan and the whole world has suffered ever since because she was deceived. The Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. He wouldn't have deceived her if she would have held to God's word. And so as we know God's word and we hold to it, we won't be deceived. We need to know the word of God with all of our heart. I was reading today as just kind of getting ready for the study, just reading through Psalm 119. It's all about the word of God. Beautiful. Richard quoted today from Psalm 1. Blessed is that man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose live, leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does, whatever he does shall prosper. Who is the one that will prosper? Who is the one that's planted by the rivers of water? It is the one who meditates in God's word day and night. Is that you? Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. See, that's what we need to do. That you may learn to observe, to do all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. When? When this book of the law is your passion. The Bible We really need to know God's word. One guy said this, the Bible is meant to be bread for our daily use, not just cake for special occasions. Now, I know some of you here have cake every day, and so we have to maybe change the illustration there. But you know what I'm talking about? It's a a daily thing. Remember in the Old Testament, the manna would come down every day. Remember? It's our daily bread. You know, these guys right here, the Sadducees, they were deceived. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't have a clue about marriage. They didn't really know what was going on. Why? Because they just did not know the Bible. They did not know, Jesus said, the power of God. The word in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. They had no dynamite, no power. It speaks of God's inherent ability and capacity to carry out His own work it's by virtue of his own resources in other words they did not know god's power in their life they probably didn't know god's power to save them and they did not know god's power to understand the word and they did not know god's power that can raise the dead when you know god's power when you've even experienced god's power when you yourself have been raised from the dead then, you know, the bodily resurrection is never an issue. And we really need to know this in our life. Um, Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I wonder sometimes if we really know the power of God. 
You know, Paul the Apostle, after 30 years of ministry from a Roman jail, he said in Philippians chapter 3, it was A.D. 63, he had already been saved for 30 years. He said, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Does that mean that he was hoping that he would get saved so that one day he would rise? No. He was saying, I pray that today I would know that same resurrection power in my life. To live and to go and to see God move with his power that only he has. You know, these guys, unfortunately, they were ignorant of God's power. I pray that we would not be. I mean, if God can create man from the dust, that's something that we read in the Pentateuch. Could he not raise the dust of those who've died and refashion their bodies? And that's exactly what he's going to do. This body that we have one day will go into the ground. That's why Christians, a lot of times, they bury their dead. Why? Because they think it's a seed. It's a seed. One day it will be raised at that rapture. And we need to know this. God can do this. There is life after death. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a resurrection. Why would people think that's not true? Even Paul, in testifying to King Agrippa, he said in Acts 26, verse 8, Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? I mean, as a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that he's put eternity in our hearts. We know this is not it. We know that. You know, one of the things I saw in the Harvest Crusade, and just really caught my attention and you know I think a lot of us here can relate to this is that you know for Greg Laurie to have his son pass away like that Christopher and then for all of a sudden there to be no hope for him ever to see his son again it just doesn't compute it doesn't make any sense it's not biblical it's not logical but one day he will see his son again they will be reconciled in heaven that's right there, when I, when I think of it, that right there is in my heart. It's in the Bible. It makes sense. You know, one day I'll see my little one that passed on. And I'll meet them for the first time. For some of you here, you have loved ones, Christians, that you know died in Christ. And you'll see them again. And one day when I die, I'll be on the other side of time, and I'll be waiting for my children. I don't know how time is there. But I will be reconciled with my loved ones, those who know Christ. It doesn't seem illogical. To me, it seems perfectly sound. Why? Because God has opened our eyes. I just think it's so crazy how people can think like we're brute beasts. We just exist and die and that's it. We don't go on. No, we are not like your average animal. God has put eternity in our hearts. The Lord tried to tell them that here. In verse 30, he tries to teach them about marriage. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Now, the reason there's no marriage in heaven is because there's no death in heaven. And in heaven, there will be no need to repopulate because nobody will die. There's no marriage in heaven. Now, I know sometimes Shelly and I, we talk about this and we get kind of bummed out. Oh, man, we're not going to be married in heaven, but I'm all, we'll still be best friends up there, you know. <laughs> but there's no marriage in heaven. Now, some people say, well, he says right here they're going to be like the angels, and so some say they're sexless. No, they're still going to be men, they're still going to be women, but there will be no more death, you see. 
That's what we read in the scriptures. It will be not necessary for anyone to die. In Luke's account, it says that Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are kind of worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Here it says, nor can they die anymore. See, that's the thing. Nor can they die anymore. Why? Because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Now, it doesn't mean that we're angels. Okay, some people, unfortunately, they think, okay, when you die, you become an angel. And if you're a good angel, you'll get wings. And I don't know where they get that from, you know. But no, it says we're going to be like the angels. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says we're going to be like God. Now, it doesn't mean we're angels. It doesn't mean we're God. It just has the characteristics, the communicable attributes, the everlasting, undying existence that God will give to us in those days. The Bible says in 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. William MacDonald said this, While men will be recognizable as men and women as women, they will all be like angels in the sense that they neither marry nor are given in marriage. And so enjoy your marriage. I think it's a blessing you know, to be married, but in heaven there's no marriage. But the Lord really wants to hammer home a point and he wants to prove to them There is this resurrection. And so again, look what he says in verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? It was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And I've shared this with you guys before, and I just want to share it with you again. Because, you know, when Paul the Apostle met with the Ephesian elders there in Miletus, he said, you know what, I'm going to be taken off. He knew that it was... Time for him to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. And what did he say? I commend you to the word of God and his grace, which is able to build you up. And you know, none of us knows we're going to be here tomorrow. I don't know if I will be here tomorrow. None of us has tomorrow guaranteed. But we want to share with you that you need to read this Bible with a heart to obey it, with a heart and a hunger to learn it. Here are the Sadducees. Jesus said to them, your problem is you haven't read. Have you not read? If you would have just read the scriptures, you would have known. The burning bush passage in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, when God appeared to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say I was the God. I am the God. And what that teaches us is that Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, I mean Jacob, were still alive. They were still alive. When, you know, we see hundreds of years later, you know, 400 years plus later, they're still alive. Why? Because when we go to heaven, the Bible says, He'll be our God, we'll be His people, and we'll be with Him. You see, Abraham was alive, as a matter of fact. Our loved ones who die in Christ, they're more alive now than ever before. And that's what he's trying to tell them. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. And all those who die in me, they live. There is a resurrection. And God wanted to communicate that to them, just as he does to us as well. God doesn't scrap what is precious to him. 
No, we live on with Him. It here teaches us regarding the resurrection, not only that we will live after the physical death, but also the unbroken fellowship that we will have with Him forever and ever. I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. He's still there. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Christopher who has died and is in God's arms today. I'm their God. You see, there is a resurrection. And the Lord taught them this. It's kind of interesting. When you look at history, the Pharisees, they were the ones that would always go toe-to-toe with the Sadducees. They had never shared this verse. They had some other weird verses that they would share from the Pentateuch, trying to convince the Sadducees of the resurrection. But, you know, they didn't share this. And when the Lord shared this, the Bible says that he silenced the Sadducees. Unfortunately, he didn't say he convinced the Sadducees. He just silenced them. He really had nothing to say. There was no argument, but their hearts still weren't open. All the people heard it. And it says in verse 33, And then when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. You know, I just pray that today, as we listen to this scripture, as we read the word today, as we learn really about the resurrection, about life after death, about the importance of reading the Bible and not being deceived by the enemy, about the importance of living in and just knowing the power of God, that we would have the fullness of Christ and everything that he wants us to have. Please understand, you guys, I don't care what your biology teacher tells you or your philosophy you know, teacher tells you, or whoever it is, we are not animals. We are not brute beasts. No. We have been created in the image of God, and we live on. Our souls are eternal. The only question is, where will we live on? In heaven or hell? If we give our lives to Christ, if we submit to the gift that He wants to give us, then the good news is that we will live with him forever and ever in heaven. How can we know this? How can I know this? Well, because uh, I, 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 I've studied the Bible. I see it in his word. I see the beauty of heaven. It's such an awesome thing. And I'm so excited about that. And I want to encourage you guys just to continue to study your Bibles with all your heart like never before. Saturate yourself in the scriptures. You know, you're doing other things, and I'm going to share with you, you know, my thing. I do other things. I have time to watch TV. I have time to wash my car or play my guitar. I have time to play with my little iPhone or go on the computer. You know, I have time to do all those things. Do we have time to read the Bible? You know, a lot of us today, there's a technology thing going on. A lot of people are addicted to technology, believe it or not. You can tell if you're addicted to technology if you're at home and your wife has to email you to tell you dinner's ready. You're addicted to technology if that happens. Or if you ask for your Bible and your son brings you your laptop, then you know you're addicted to technology. We have time to do other things, don't we? But what about reading the Bible? What about feeding your soul? Let me close with this illustration I read uh, 
about R.A. Torrey. It says, After passing through a period of skepticism, R.A. Torrey yielded to Christ and studied in Germany. He was chosen in 1889 by D.L. Moody to oversee the fledging Moody Bible Institute. And he also served as pastor of Moody Memorial Church. Between 1902 and 1906, he traveled around the world conducting evangelistic crusades. And from 19 to 1912 to 1924, he served as dean of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. All of this while speaking widely at Bible conferences and writing 40 books. His energy came from pouring himself into the scripture. Once a man approached him, Dr. Congdon, complaining that he could get nothing out of his Bible study. The scripture seemed to be dry as dust. Please tell me how to study it so that it will mean something to me. Dr. Torrey replied, read it. I do read it. Read it some more. How? Take some book and read it 12 times a day for a month. Well, what book could I read that many times a day, working as many hours as I do? Try Second Peter, replied Tori. The man later said, My wife and I read Second Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon I was talking, Second Peter, to everyone I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of Second Peter. I read Second Peter on my knees, marking passages, teardrops mingled with the crayon colors. And I said to my wife, see how I have ruined this part of my Bible? Yes, she said, but as the pages have been getting black, your life has been getting white. And I know you've heard it a million times. But I really want to challenge you today, lest you be deceived, lest you not know the power of God. I encourage you today to read the scriptures. This is God's word to us. And if you do with all your heart, then I know God will do a great work in your life. You go and you grow in the knowledge of God and his word. And today, if you're here and you don't know him yet, I pray that you today would be the day, that today would be the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. There is a heaven, there is a hell, and we need to give our life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, to us. Uh, Just thank you so much, Father, for the simplicity that is in Christ, and yet, Lord, the complexity the lives of the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would make us uh, people who cannot be deceived by anyone, not by a pastor, a leader, a layman, a man with a PhD, a master's. Pray you make us a people that cannot be deceived because we know your word. And Lord, I pray that we would have this whole truth, Lord, of the resurrection in our hearts. And Lord, I just pray, just in case there might be one or two here who have never really made that commitment to you. They've never really settled the issue of eternity. That today, Lord, you would speak to them of your love and your grace and your salvation in Christ. And just in case, man, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you want to give your life to Christ, 
you want to go to heaven when you die, then the Bible says it's so simple, the gospel is so clear, that we all have sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. And that sin will separate you from God forever. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and he paid the price. That if you would be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and receive him as your Lord and Savior today, then you will be saved. And when you die, you will go to heaven. But you must make a decision to follow Christ. If there are any here today that like to make that decision right where you're at, would you please raise your hand and I want to pray with you. Anyone here? Don't be afraid. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. We just want to give you that opportunity. We can't save anyone. But I believe that God is here to save you if you'd be willing to make that decision. Right where you're at, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. You know, if your heart's beating, it's because there's a battle going on and the devil's trying to defeat you. Don't let him. Anyone here? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word, Lord, and I thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you for, Lord, your goodness, your patience and your kindness, Lord. And I do pray, I pray everyone here is a Christian. I pray everyone here, Father, knows you and that today we would saturate ourselves in your word and that we would, Lord God, leave the lesser things behind. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for loving us so much. We pray you bless, Lord, this time, this song as we go our way. May you have your hand upon our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Only you can do the work. Again, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.